Welcome. Welcome to episode... Welcome to episode. Hey, friends, welcome to episode number. Woo-wee! Hey! Dang, spring's here, and it doesn't feel like it. It's raining, it's snowing everywhere. I'm excited. I got to sit down with Eugene Capone. He coins the name. Woo-wee! Hey, pals. I'm excited. Woo-wee! I'm excited to bring you this episode, number 51. Woo-wee! Hey, friends. I'm excited for this one. In this episode, I sit down with Eugene Capone. He creates virtual reality experiences and hosts his own. Woo-wee! Hey, friends! I'm excited for this one. In this episode, I sit down with Eugene Capone. He creates virtual reality experiences. He hosts his own uh, talk show that focuses on VR. Woo-wee! Hey, friends! I'm excited for this one. In this episode, I sit down with Eugene Capone. He creates virtual reality experiences, hosts his own virtual reality talk show, which you can check out on YouTube. I'll leave a link in the show notes for you guys. And in this episode, we talk on uh, video games usefulness for... Hey! Woo-wee! Hey, friends! I'm excited to bring you this week's episode with Eugene Capone. He creates virtual reality experiences, has his own virtual reality talk show, which you can check out on YouTube. You'll find the link in the show notes. And in this episode, we talk on video games and virtual reality's use in learning. And how technology engages children, the retention memory effect. Ooh-wee! Hey, friends! I'm excited to bring you this one. In this episode, I sit down with Eugene Capone. 
He creates virtual reality experiences, has a virtual reality talk show, which you can check out on YouTube. I'll leave a link in the show notes. And he calls himself a VR evangelist. He has a lot of really cool information on this emerging technology. I've been fascinated with video games and virtual reality, just any abstract reality since I was a kid. I remember growing up when people would ask me to do a book report, and I'd skip the whole thing. I'd read the cliff notes. <laughs> I'd cut to the end. I wouldn't do that now because I recognize the value in it, and I love books. However, I just wasn't engaged in education. And I meet a lot of kids who are in a similar situation, including my son, the kids in um, jiu-jitsu class, for instance, and they're, you know, 11, 12, 13 years old. They love to play Fortnite, and they'll stay up all night playing that. But you couldn't get them to stay up um, to do their homework or to do some extra credit. These games drive us to learn and to problem solve. The easier they are, children start to lose interest. I've seen my son progress from simple platformers to higher concept platformers and even like uh, third person games where you have to build like in Minecraft for instance and I have to convince him to put it down it's a weird thing because I don't exhibit that behavior myself sure I love video games but I quit playing for a while when my son was born however since my son's been interested in it as a way to bond with him I've started to play too and I watched his mind work, his enthusiasm. We talk on a wide range of subjects, focusing on virtual reality's effect on how we perceive our reality, um, how you can use virtual reality to increase empathy by putting people in domestic violence situations as a female, or going to countries in which we're at war with them and getting to experience firsthand what it looks like to be on the other side. I just know that as we continue, sure there are a lot of caveats, a lot of negatives to our advances in technology. However, there's also there's a lot of positives and it's shaping us. It's shaping our day to day experience. But how? One thing's for sure I have no fucking clue because much like a parent who watches their child go from birth to six months to a year when you're in the midst of it it's really hard to recognize what kind of changes are happening but from the outside from point to point from point A to point B it's in stark contrast from how we lived five years ago to how we live today Eugene is a wonderful guy and he has a lot of knowledge on virtual reality I know you guys will enjoy this episode. And if you'd like to learn more or check out his talk show, you can find all the relevant links in the show notes. When I was growing up, like video games for me, it provided an opportunity for me to be able to problem solve. And it was very engaging, especially when I was trying mm -hmm. to learn. Um, well, I was forced to learn English in, let's say, Final Fantasy, right? Because... They don't have any um, audio for most of the words, and you have to read through it in order to get to the quests. Um, whereas conventional school, when I would be in English class, I'd be bored to tears, and I would like wait a book report. I would skip to the end of the book report. 
I wouldn't even try to absorb or learn or excel in that way. But for some reason, video games um, were very engaging for me. I could even play something simple as like Sudoku, right? Um, it, yeah. It's fascinated me how it is, um, what is it? Change, change the way that we learn, I suppose, is in how we spend our time, especially as kids. Like you can have uh, kids and put them in a room. And from what I have seen, that they would gravitate towards uh, video games, right? You don't have to convince a kid to play video games. And th that natural attraction, even for, you know, uh, adults as well. I mean, some people, it's not their forte, but as a majority, we're drawn to it. And I'm curious to see, like, uh, a virtual how we interact with virtual reality and if it, there's similar parallels for, like, learning and stuff like that. Oh, there's there's definitely um, parallels between video games and learning. Mm -hmm. I mean, back in the day, people thought that video games was going to lead to like super violent tendencies, and now that we've been, you know, ha now that we've had video games for twenty, thirty years, you know, all the statistical data that no, people are actually pretty relaxed by video games, especially casual gamers. Mm -hmm. Um. And with VR, we we get this um, bonus of retention memory. Retention memory. So it, yeah. So if you're, um, yeah, people who are inside of virtual reality have a greater remembrance of their activities inside of VR than outside by fifteen to thirty percent. Wow. Yeah. No so say. So say in real life you're trying to learn a language, you know, you're you're going to learn it eventually. But if you try to learn it inside of virtual reality, say you're talking to an avatar and that avatar is talking back to you, uh, you're more likely going to remember it. And there's actually a scientific reasoning behind that. Um, we have this part of the brain called the hippocampus. And what it does is it converts long-term or short-term memory into long-term memory. And inside of that section of your brain, you have what's called GPS cells. And those GPS cells are evolutionary uh, responses. They make little mental notes, basically, so you can find your way back. So say you're getting up in the morning and you're going to the car. Those GPS cells fire off and they make a little mental note. When you're in the car, you get to the end of the street, they fire off, they make a little mental note. When you get to the highway, they fire off, make a mental note. And what we, they've found is when you're inside of VR, those GPS cells fire off um, more frequently uh, than when, when you're not in VR. And that way, that's the reason why you get people who are inside VR going, hey, I remember everything I just did, but I can't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday. Whoa. So it's like your brain recognizes it's in a different place, essentially, and it, it tries to remember its way out. But as that's a consequence, right. it's just you're just remembering what you're doing in that virtual reality space because you didn't really go anywhere, but your brain thinks you did. Yeah, I mean, the same guidance system that allows you to navigate the real life is the same guidance system system that navigates you in uh, the VR world. 
It's just your locomotion is different. Instead of physically walking to a place, you might teleport or you might uh, have some sort of um, hovering system that you're trying to navigate through. Like almost existing in an abstract form of reality. Oh, that's exactly what it is. Um, sometimes more abstract than uh, some lesser experiences than more experiences. So you might get some experiences that are very real to you, um, or some might be absolute crazy where you can like walk on walls and <laughs> teleport down mountains and you know run at the speed of sound. That must feel weird to, to be able to do the things that, that are impossible in real life in virtual reality. Um, do you have like this kind of, uh, what is it, like what the fuck, I suppose? Or is it obvious that this um, is fake? Well, you know, when I first started, I definitely had a, a heightened sense of wonder for it. Mm-hmm. But now that I've been in the industry for almost three years... It's it's not so much. It's now like part of my routine. It becomes uh, habitualized, normalized. Just like I suppose for yeah, me. Yeah, it, it yeah. still doesn't. It, like it doesn't lose its magic to me ever. It's just so integrated in my daily life. It's like, yep, I'm um I'm a Jedi today, <laughs> or you know, those are fruit coming for me. I better you know shoot them with this death ray. Mm-hmm. The possibilities are, are relative in that sense, especially to the context in which you were born and your day-to-day oh, absolutely. life. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, for me, f- for instance, video games and computers, I was literally born when there were computers, and I don't know anything else. And I couldn't ima- I, I could imagine, but hardly what it would be like otherwise. It feels normal to me. And like I always mess with ah. my son with that, and I'm like, you know, we never really had cars. You're like, well, how do we get places? You walk, bike, or not even bike, horse. <laughs> yeah. Will, how how old are you, Will? I'm 23. Okay. Uh, yeah, that definitely gives me uh like, I, I remember being very young, and uh, one Christmas, my, my dad's a doctor, or he was a doctor, he's retired now. But when he was practicing, one Christmas, this guy couldn't pay his medical bills. So instead, he gave my dad a computer. And so he, he brought it. So he brought it home a few days early before Christmas and, you know, let me and my, my younger siblings open it up. And, you know, there was this computer that we, we put on a table and we connected it to the Internet for the first time. And it, he he seemed... There, there's this like weird sense of wonder inside of it that goes, "Hey, um, this is the first time I've ever seen this before, and we're connecting to the White House website. This is connecting to something owned by the White House, and to to establish that sort of connection later on in your life is definitely a different feeling than like, oh yeah, I was born into a world where this is the norm." Mm-hmm. So I, I, I can definitely see, like, you know, the the foundation for which you grew up mm-hmm. being slightly different than the foundation I was growing up in. Because I, re- I remember, like, um, I had a computer that had DOS. 
Oh, wow. I, like, I, I, like, I could still find computers that had, like, DOS, and, you know, you put in the floppy disk, and, you know, you type some codes to interact, and, you know, Mickey Mouse's number game would would pop up. And then, like, or we would play Oregon Trail. Oh, I remember Oregon Trail. Um, <laughs> yeah, but for you, it was probably on CD, though, right? Yep, it was on CD. Yeah, for me, it was it was a three-and-a-half-inch floppy. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> and the, you, so you got to see essentially from the the time in which you can remember this technology kind of fall into the hands of a lot of people or become slightly normalized and explode yeah. into what it is now. You know, I was I was super young, but I remember the the crash of the internet in the nineties. You know, when the bubble burst and everybody lost their companies. And and now that we're, you know, coming on to this age of virtual reality and surrealism, where we've created the most empathetic tool ever known to man, I mean, it's it's part of that ev- technology evolution where it's just going to continue to speed up. Wait, what do you mean by empathetic? Oh, so you have um, a tool where you can literally put people in other people's shoes, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, that that's this is the thing that that I'm uh, most excited for and have been curious about because I, I know obviously you know we've all been here for a very short amount of time, but I look at the ability to be able to talk with someone in um, China, for instance, Russia, um, or India, and I realize that they aren't what I imagine them to be, regardless of like uh, what the media would tell me, right? Like a newspaper or uh, the, my community would tell me, I know that that person is pretty similar to me in a different set of circumstances. Yet, from my reading on, like, um, what is it, uh, how segregation, and especially against uh, black people, that mm-hmm. a lot of people who were in the Ku Klux Klan, for instance, would always talk about how they hated black people and um, how they're idiots. And none of them actually took the time to get to know them. It was all left in their imagination. Yet there's been um, a couple of instances, and even recently, which they would meet a black guy. I think there was a reporter in the early 2000s or mid-2000s, right? And he would meet the Ku Klux Klan members and just talk with them, like not trying to proselytize or not saying you're wrong or anything of this. And most of the time they'd come away and be like, oh, well, that guy wasn't that bad. Like It goes to that tribalism thing to where we have the, the fear of um, – you know, every, all the communities outside of ours. And it's so hard to imagine what they must be like. So often our imagination tends to be fear-driven. Yet, when you have virtual reality or even video games, books are another instance too, but not as strong in my opinion, um, you are literally forced into their own situation. And I've always imagined what kind of implications that had on our cultures today. And like w- with Russia, for instance, the Russian government is bad, but not Russians. It's not, you know, at one point you had the Red Scare, and I wasn't around for that, and I don't have much information on that. But to demonize all of Russia, everyone in there is bad people, for instance, would be ridiculous now. Because you just know that, oh, that government, communism in that sense, right, or communism at all, whatever, is is horrible. They're in, they're um, mingling with our own uh, politics, for instance. But... When you see a Russian who lives in America, you're not like, oh, fuck you. You know what I mean? You you have more empathy, more tolerance these days. 
I mean, the U.S. the U.S. definitely has a long-standing history with um, situational bias, mm-hmm. where like when we were going in the co- into the Cold War, it was, hey, uh, you know, are you a commie? Blah blah blah. Nobody wants to be a communist. Mm-hmm. Or when we had Pearl Harbor, I mean, the U.S. basically put together uh, internment camps and rounded up all the Japanese Americans and put them into essentially death camps. That's crazy. Wow. I mean, and that was, you know, World War II. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we still have people living that, you know, saw... Actually, you know uh, George Takei? Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in one of those camps as a child. Really? Yeah. Whoa. He and you know he's he's on a uh, Broadway or I, I don't know where the actual uh, uh, play company is, mm-hmm. but he's he's in a play specifically about that situation. What? That's insane. Well, he I, felt that it was important for people to know. Mm-hmm. And that's that uh, isn't so. That would be. Uh, almost like putting us in his shoes, uh, educating instead of having a grudge like that evil America or something like that. I mean, no child should be demonized for the sins of their father, mm-hmm. but those sins should not be emulated by their children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You'd be a, a role model for peace in that sense. And if you look at Gandhi, I guess that would be a prime example, and Martin Luther King, too. Well, every generation has their has their heroes mm-hmm. and um, their evolution within culture, I suppose. I mean, in in a way, you can you can even look at like say Eminem. <laughs> yeah. For for his uh, political rappings against like say the Trump administration and wanting to stand up for black people or um, Kaepernick mm-hmm. for you know. Taking a stand by taking a knee. Do you think that today, with all of with the technology, um, specifically virtual reality, I suppose, and being able to hear people's opinions for better and for worse, that it would be harder to have those situations of like an internment camp on an entire ethnicity, or an you know what I'm based on like a a bias. It's it's, it's not hard. It just takes money to put those experiences together. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a immersive journalist named Nani De La Pena. Okay. Um, when when I first jumped into VR, I volunteered at this event called CIFX. and I volunteered because it was like I'm gonna you know play video games that haven't been released and see cool experiences. Ooh. But instead, I basically um, was helping people get into these six experiences that were all immersive journalistic pieces. So like one was you were in a um, like third world village and you're wearing like a rumble pack and you have the VR headset on and um, these bombs get dropped in your village and you know, you can hear people screaming and the dust hits your face and you're having trouble seeing and you can feel the rumble from the explosions in your chest because of the, uh, the rumble pack. And you're you're hearing you know people crying off in the distance, and suddenly it takes you to refugee camps where everybody who survived that attack now has to go. 
or there was a domestic abuse experience where what you were listening to came from a real 911 call. Oh my gosh, that's dark. Yeah, but these are all real situations. Uh, one of the other ones was you were a um, woman in her 20s, I think, and you were going through Planned Parenthood. And you have the protesters outside trying to, you know, convince you that, you know, this uh, lump of cells inside of you is, you know, a person and that you're going to hell for having an abortion. Whoa. In those scenarios, did that elicit an emotional response? Was it powerful? Oh, for me, absolutely. I, I made the mistake of doing of not like putting enough time between doing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, like I, I knew that I was getting people into them and people were asking me about them. So I wanted to try to go through all of them as soon as I could to, um, so I, I could get feedback and be like, yeah, this is what you can expect if you're, you know, shot or if you're, uh, you know, if, Domestic abuse is a big trigger for you. You probably shouldn't do this experience, yada, yada, yada. And I would get, like, you know, bros coming in going, yo, I want to try VR. VR is going to be awesome. Let's do it. And then they're, like, taking the headset off once they're done going, man, I respect women so much right now. I'm going to call my mom. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly what what I was hopeful for. (laughs) It's... I mean, getting people, I mean, having those experiences readily available is one thing. Getting people in them in such a way that they leave their bias at the door is completely separate. Mm-hmm. So it's like a, almost like a good piece of, uh, what is it, writing, for instance, is when you get someone immersed within the story itself so that they're not, I guess, bringing preconceived notions into it. Yeah. That's uh, a good it's, video it's, game has gotten me to do that. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. What were you saying? Oh, I said a good video game has gotten me to do that. Sorry for that. It's all good. Uh, that's what we're you know here to discuss on your podcast, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, so, yes. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. You're fine. Um, so with the in one of the video games that I played that you you were a patient who had schizophrenia and just just by I wouldn't want to necessarily have an experience of what it is like to be schizophrenic. I mean I would, but it, it, having it as a game, I guess, and being pleasantly surprised when I got to reenact a schizophrenic's life that like drew me in so I could see the opportunity with layering you know, those kinds of scenarios or real-world scenarios within these um, narrative pieces just to draw people in, you know, the balance between entertainment and education. So I so I guess the, uh, the real question is, um, how do you get these experiences put together and how do you get them into a place where people can become woke, so to speak? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so the first one is to put an experience together, or at least a good one. You need um, script writers, you need audio engineers, you need uh, 3D modelers and animators, and people who are 
really good with um, VR platforms or, or game engines, and maybe or maybe they're uh, filmmakers and they're making 360 video. And uh, whether or not 360 video is actually a byproduct of VR is uh, a whole nother topic. Mm-hmm. But it does take a whole crew, usually, to put together a majorly impactful uh, experience. Um, I've gotten by uh, in my career by kind of being a one-man show. Um, in some of the experiences I've put together, uh, the only other person I really needed was my my sound engineer, Adrian Ladelia. Um, but you know, once you get these experiences put together, um, putting them in places like YouTube sometimes doesn't always work. Uh, you need to go to VR-specific content distributors um, like uh, Within or Immerse. Um, those are the places that will, you know, help you make money back for the time and effort and, you know, your initial investment into these experiences. To develop one of those experiences, is it a lot more time-consuming than a, a video game or a high-budget movie? For well, 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 a lot of the time they are video games. And usually if you can work out the mechanics to um, get the mechanics down first and then build the world around the mechanics, it tends to be a little bit easier than doing like fully story-based uh, VR. Mm-hmm. Just because if you have a mechanic down, you can play with that mechanic and you can repeat if you're doing a linear storyline or a uh, kind of choose your own adventure, that is volumes of information that you have to uh, code in there. Mm-hmm. Let's see. So like um, my experience is like, I, you know, I spent 11 weeks making a Super Mario first person experience. Or I spent uh, 28 days building my first film, Journey VR. Ooh. Damn. Uh, where can people find that film? Uh, you can find the Super Mario VR project on my YouTube channel, Cap and Design TV, or Cap on Design TV, if you need to spell it correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Journey VR is available on Steam for like two bucks. Oh, you can okay. rent it for like three days for two bucks. Oh, that's not bad at all. Yeah. You know, I want you know it was it was very much like an uh, an entrance piece in the VR. Like I hadn't worked in VR before, but I had like ten years as a designer and an art director, so I knew that I could take what I had already known uh, about design and modeling and uh, animation and convert it over to VR fairly quickly. And making journey was that that piece going. Hey, you know I can do this, and you know this is my my show piece to be like. Hey, if you want something like this, hire me because look, here's proof that you know uh, I can get it done. And that film went to became like a staff pick on Veer and Adobe, and then it went to the Seattle International Film Festival. Oh, wow. And then then eventually, and these weren't things like I applied for. (laughs) It was just like I put it on YouTube, and then 
Adobe was like, oh, hey, you know, you used After Effects to build this, you know, staff pick, and they sent it out to a bunch of places. And then Veer uh, contacted me like, hey, you know, we'd like to make this a staff pick if you put it on our, our platform, Veer. And I was like, okay, you know, that's just another, you know, award that I can list off. And then the Seattle International Film Festival was looking for pieces, and I was like, how about this? They're like, oh, this is perfect. You know, you're in. And so it became like an official selection at the Seattle International Film Festival. And because it was there, um, Valve is in Seattle as well. So they were starting 360 video rentals as part of their service, and they were looking for um, – projects to get on there as like distribution pieces and my film journey was like the number one uh downloaded 360 video on their platform for like a month and a half dude that must have been such a big achievement for you uh yeah but you know it's 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 one step and many more to come you know you, you get that you know you get you go through the process of uh, doing like press interviews and having articles written about it and, you know, getting it to finally getting, having that distribution cycle out into the world. And then you got to go, okay, what's next? Where do I go from here? How, how can I keep doing this? And that's why, um, that's where like my talk show came in or, you know, this, uh, project I'm doing with, uh, Dalziel in Tokyo. Ride that momentum and um, keep stoking it. Admire yeah, that. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, we're we're able. We're finally getting people going. Hey, I believe in what you guys are doing. You know, here's money for your projects, mm-hmm. which is always really exciting. Yeah, it is, and especially when it's not something that's like a fad thing. You see that it's taking roots, and people are um, actually putting a lot behind it, a lot of value behind it. I suppose. Um, yeah, it's all it's all early adoption right now until we finish our like ten year cycle, and, uh, and then it'll solidify much like consoles and um, com- computers. Uh, what was it? So, did you anticipate going into virtual reality, um, or did um, it, were you surprised by the amount of um, success that you had with with your project? You know, I I didn't expect the success at any point, but I knew I wanted to be part of this industry. Um, like like I said, I'd, I'd been in the design industry for a while. I, I got a bachelor's degree in YouTube studies, so I was working at a YouTube consulting company. That's a bachelor's degree. And wow, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I went to Evergreen State. <laughs> They have a, a build-your-own curriculum program. Oh, they do. That's so cool. I, I like that just because of, uh, I don't know, within all the industries out there, it's so specific as opposed to the degrees, which are so generalized. Well, what what I like to think is um, any college you go to, uh, especially for a specific subject, by the time you get out, all the information is like three years old Mm -hmm. because they set those courses when you first got there. 
So it's like all new information, but you know, if you're spending four years getting the degree, by the time you get out, all the information that you just spent, you know, fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars on is now three years out of date. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so you were to go, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's it's better to do general studies. Mm-hmm. So you know, get your math, get your science, uh, get your illustration, get your art. Um, I while I was going to college, uh, I was the senior editor over at Comic Shop TV uh, with Adrian Ladelia, who's now my my art or my uh, my music guy for all my ER projects, and we did like 250 videos over a course of like six, seven shows that we were producing. And I was doing that on top of trying to get my bachelor's. Mm-hmm. Wow. You guys are putting in work. Yeah. Oh, of course. Well, you got to. I mean, if, if there's anything in this world that you really want to pursue, you know, you have to put in the time. You have to rise and grind. And, you know, if it's, you know, not part of you, and, you know, it, if there's something you truly want to do, you will put in the work or and you will figure out how to make it work. <laughs> oh, yeah. When I decided that I wanted to go into VR, I saved up for three months from my art directing job and then quit to pursue it full time. And I didn't know what that looked like. So I, you know, didn't go to the clubs on Saturday nights. And I, you know, stopped hanging out with my friends and I, you know, kept the attic room at my parents' house. So my rent would be super cheap to do it. Um, and it's, it's been a ride the last three years. And anybody who, you know, tells you that you can't do it is probably coping up to their own limitations. Mm-hmm. In- I really admire your your ambition and tenacity. Um, did you have any fear during that transition when you were saving up the art director job? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you'd you'd be you'd be a fool not to like be fearful of you know you know what happens if I get hurt, you know, and I don't have insurance, or hey, I only have you know five grand in the bank. How long can I make this last? I and you gotta take those like side jobs to like, you know, put food on the table. And you know, maybe you're the guy who sees every Marvel movie uh, ever. I mean, you have to figure out some sort of system to be like, hey, uh, if I clean your house, will you, you know, take me to Black Panther? <laughs> That's clever. Yeah, you'll do whatever you can to find a way to make it happen. And um, that's right. With all your with all your fears that you had in that transition, did any of them come true? Yeah, I mean, sometimes I wouldn't find work for like a month at a time, and you know that eats up your savings. Or you know, you're you always get family members going, "Hey, you know, you know, why don't you quit and you can get a job at Boeing?" And, you know, you can make sixty, seventy, eighty thousand a year and, you know, live comfortably. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, that's that sounds terrible to me. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that that's sort of like wanting to live in the gutter and just climb your way out is part of who I am. 
And yeah. I don't think I could live any other way. I can relate because I feel like I have a monkey on my back with that. With everything that I do, it's like this is compromising. I can't. I have to do this thing that I prize so much at all costs. I mean, yeah, I mean, like you have a you have a podcast. I mean, you've done how many episodes now? Uh, forty six. Awesome. Uh, have you figured out how to make money from it yet? Um, yes, and a lot of opportunities just came banging on my door, and now I'm in that transition phase. Dude, congrats! Most Thanks. people can't get anything for their for their work. Mm-hmm. That's why it's all on YouTube. Yeah, that completely. Uh, that's what I, I've been seeing in uh, in a lot of my research lately. But I had that mo- mentality that you did, um, kind of accidentally. But it's just trying to find whatever I can do to to make it work. Like I used to think that I didn't have the time, any time in the world, and that's when I didn't have very many hobbies, and I just worked and did family stuff. And now it's like you know, um, my life is is much more enjoyable, and I've stuffed so much into it that I'm surprised that it all fit. You know, and that's why it's really nice to meet somebody like yourself who's gone through that, and in something completely different than what I'm into. Yeah, I mean, it's you I mean, you might be me be me in, you know, 10 years, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um with what are the limitations that we have on virtual reality um as it is now? Like uh I understand that people are making haptic feedback devices so that when you were to do something and you got like you get a physical jolt essentially. Um Oh yeah, um I've I felt some I've uh, tried some really cool um, haptic feedback uh, tests mm-hmm. where, uh, what is it? Uh, it was like uh, haptic XR, I, I want to say is the name of them, uh, where you put your hand inside of this like tube and you can feel like this, like uh, almost like a glove around your hand and you'll put on the VR headset and you can like lift objects onto your hand and you can feel the object like, roll across your hand or it's a tiny horse like dancing on your hand or uh you can put a live grenade on your hand and oh you, my gosh when it when it explodes uh you feel like the jolt spread out across your hand really fast like an explosion would but you know you get to keep your hand <laughs> yeah <laughs> the good part i suppose that would be so um, cool yeah I, I definitely think uh, haptic devices are still a work in progress, but in the next like two years, we should be seeing some really cool stuff come out of the works. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to like the full body uh, haptic feedback with trackers for full body tracking. Whoa! So like where where every movement on your body essentially is picked up and is uh, is accounted for. Yeah. What what's the limitations on that now? Like what do you know it stands in the way from that being possible? Uh it's just development, making sure that the technology and the software keeps up to the uh uh to the devices that everybody's, you know, building. Mm-hmm. I mean like yeah, say you have like a haptic feedback fight uh device, say like a vest. I mean, any game that you want that game to be in, you basically have to have an API sent out to those game companies so they can put it into their systems. Oh, 
so it has to be able which to means yeah which means you're doing um business management as a big chunk of your career or as a big chunk of your time and you're not working on the actual product hmm. makes sense you have to lay the groundwork essentially and to be able to do that as one entity would be so time consuming right. that it would bog them down that's right but at the same time, you have like um, Vive trackers that you can put on tape and attach to your feed and your torso, and you're holding your you know your controllers and you have your headset on for tr- more tracking, and then you can go inside of like VR chat and you can get full body tracking. Whoa, that's cool! You can like try to pull off your dance moves in VR chat. <laughs> oh, exactly! <laughs> wow. Is the best or the best platform for virtual reality the HTC Vive? Um, I kind of got lost um, on the release. No, no. So uh, the big three right now are the Oculus Rift, the mix, uh, the Microsoft Mixed Reality headset, and the HTC Vive. And each one has pros and cons, as you would expect. Um, if you're doing um, full, like, six degrees of freedom body tracking, mm-hmm. HTC Vive is going to be your your favorite. If you're looking for a great 180 product, um, the Oculus Rift has a bunch of titles that are specifically for their platform, including my favorite game, The Unspoken. Ooh, The Unspoken. But if you're... Yeah, but if you're looking for a setup that doesn't require extra, um, like, base stations for lighthouse tracking, uh, the mixed reality headset is probably going to be what you're going with, mm-hmm. where the trackers are actually built inside of the headset for room scale. Wow. That's pretty convenient. But consoles have done a pretty good job at, uh, what is it, focusing on convenience, over even over performance at times. Yeah, and those are just the uh those are just like the computer models. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you if you want in terms of like um cheap usability, uh you might own a PlayStation 4 and you might go with the PSVR. And the PSVR is um is up to spec with all the other um VR platforms. It's it's about right in there. I mean, mm-hmm. you might go with like the Primex, mm-hmm. which has like uh I think that's how you say it, Primex. Um, where r- right now you have about a 4K resolution, um, or you have two 180 screens for each eye, just kind of squished in there. But what we really need is about 16K of resolution, so it actually fits like the human eye. What? So 16K is what we essentially see our reality in. Uh, right. Yeah. Okay. Wow. And being up close is the difference between like 1080 and 4K. Um, much. More. I mean, have you ever seen the resolution change between uh, 1080 and 4K? No, I've never seen the resolution change between well, 1080. Well, 4K is you know four times the screen. Mm-hmm. Oh wow. I mean, you're getting four times the pixels. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And, there's, and it's at a so, point where there's like, because I know that you don't get to 
not necessarily a diminishing point of return, but you get to the point to where like things plateau. And even with that, there's a pretty big jump between the 10, 1080 and the 4K. Well, with the Primax, you're looking at about 8K. Uh-huh. Oh, so, wow. That's incredible. And I th- I think they might be working on a 12K model. Mm-hmm. And is, uh, what, what is the cost of something like that? You know, I'm not sure. I, I'd just be, um, you know, as the, the cost is continuing to go down with, like, 1080p, essentially being the budget now in 4K kind of coming into standard. I'm uh, interested in, in how that works out over time. Because, like, right now with an HTC Vive, you need a um, computer to be able to handle um, virtual reality, which is, like, above your standard com- consumer computer, right? Yeah, you need a, uh, you know, probably 8 gigs of RAM and a 980. Oh, really? Is what I probably, 970, 980, bare minimum. Okay, well that's not that bad, right? No, I mean I just I just paid uh, was it three and a half grand for my laptop so I could do VR development. Gosh, that's great! But that's VR development too, though. Dang. Yeah, yeah, that's like that's like VR development where I'm doing where I'm building like 3D models and stuff. Oh wow! So I I imagine takes up a lot of resources. I know with programming, for instance, I couldn't use my laptop because the thing would crash on me. But I had an older laptop. Yeah. But in, so for an entry level person, what kind of uh, platform would you recommend? Probably, yeah. Uh, well, it it really depends on what your budget is. Uh, if you have like a lesser computer and you need like a really cheap headset, uh, the mixed reality headset um, is only like two hundred dollars. Well, it's cheap. Uh, the Oculus Rift you're looking at about four hundred on sale. And the HTC Vive, you are looking at about six hundred dollars, mm. and those are like this last Christmas's prices. I haven't seen what they're at currently. Yeah. So with these um, virtual reality platforms, what is the primary means in which you move your um, player? For instance, is it all just by tracking, or is there a controller? Are you talking about like the locomotion system or the yeah. input values? The local, the locomotion system. Okay, so locomotion comes in a series of different um, styles. You know, it can be like you're on a hover bike and you're using your two controllers to simulate a steering wheel. Or it might be you have um, each each controller, it's a, a web out that, you know, pulls you up and you can, like, climb kind of like Spider-Man and swing around the the map. You know, there, there's teleport, which is super popular just because it's like in an instant. And because it's like in an instant, uh, you don't get like VR sick. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Is VR sickness a um, a difficult thing to to overcome in terms of developing a game or an experience? Um, it was when, when we first started, and now it's pretty standard. Um, basically, you know, don't let your player walk like a normal person because your inner ear fluid isn't going to match up. And when you have that disconnect, that's when people get sick. Mm. So if you're, you know, you're doing long, you know, arm movements to help propel you around the, the map, you know, that's one great way. When you do teleportation, 
where it's instant and there is no, you know, disconnection, uh, that stops people from ha- getting the sick. So you essentially couldn't like have a one of those running games, right, where you're trying to jump over things and um, not fall off the cliff, like they have on smartphones. Uh, oh, you can. Um, they have a like a vector sprint just released. Mm-hmm. And you're basically running in place, mm. but see. you're you're running in the game, but you're trying to like move your arms, mm-hmm. and you know by that you're like jumping through things and running around and uh, climb climbing walls and stuff. So you essentially couldn't like freely walk around, and then that's when you induce VR sickness. Is when you as a person are walking while you have the headset on, right? Uh, if you if you did, you would need something like an Omni, where your basically your waist is uh, cemented in place, and you're able to like walk in real time, and that feedback is pumped into the the experience, so it simulates walking based on your walk patterns. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think it's a five hundred dollars solution though. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's an expensive solution. Uh, it is. It's cool to look at, and it keeps you, like, 100% in place. Mm-hmm. So, say you have, like, an arcade, it might be worth it, then. Oh, yeah. And then as a business, too, you can afford the cost quite easily. Mm-hmm. What, what do you... I mean, if, if you have enough people coming in, yeah. Mm-hmm. What, what do you see the um, virtual reality going towards? More of, like, open play spaces or... Um, in the consumer's home or in the person's home, not consumer, or a little bit of both. Uh, I, I, I definitely see some more VR arcades opening up um, relatively soon, and then at some point I see them going away. Mm. Uh, that's kind of the pattern that we got with uh, arcades in the late nineties. Oh yeah, where you had a yeah, where you had a bunch of arcades, you know, and then like. The whole, like the Nintendo system in 1985 became a thing, and you started to see this like steep decline of like arcades. Mm-hmm. And now that we have VR now, where not everybody's going to spend like $600 for a headset, but you're willing to put in like $15 for an hour's worth of VR gameplay. I mean, then it becomes you know worth it again. And then, it, but as VR gets cheaper and more people are like adopting it to their homes, you're going to have these arcade systems or these arcade outlets uh, going away again. And it's it's just a cycle. And then eventually something is going to come along that will replace VR. We'll have arcades again, and then they'll go away. <laughs> yeah, the, the cycle will continue. Almost as if with the cycle will continue. <laughs> that trickle down effect, right? Uh, one of the arguments for NASCARs: we get better cars if if we build supercars for people to race. <laughs> um, Kinda, yeah. That makes sense, and I'm uh, I'm hopeful for it because I've heard there's like a, a casino up here in the uh, what Bellingham, Mount Vernon area that offers a virtual reality room that you can run out essentially. Oh, kind of like a like a Japanese karaoke bar. Uh yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I thought that would be interesting because, you know, a lot of people are skeptical, um, myself included, without actually being able to experience it. And it's all left up to the imagination. It's like, well, is it really worth it? But just the way that you talk about it, man, it gets me excited. <laughs> and I really want to try it out. Well, I, I think you get excited because I get excited about it, and it's very <laughs> it's it's like the cold, you know. I'm gonna infect everybody I can with it. Yeah, exactly, man. <laughs> Influence that culture. <laughs> um, uh, with I'll I'll tell you what. If you ever make your way over to uh, like the UW area, mm-hmm. uh, hit me up, and if I'm around, you know, come into the labs, and I'll show you a couple of experiences. I think you'll really like. Yeah, absolutely, Eugene. I'd really and we'll make a and we'll make a believer out of you. Yeah, <laughs> I'll go spread the news. <laughs> do that's, VR uh, podcast. That's what VR. That's that's what VR evangelists do, right? They yeah, spread exactly. The word of VR. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a wonderful VR evangelist. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. Yeah, no problem. And so, outside of these like narrative pieces and video games, what other ways is VR being used as content? Um, so I, so besides the education stuff that we talked about earlier, where it, you know, it, it's, it's being used for, uh, one of the earliest studies for VR was done with burn victims mm-hmm. where you had all these people who were burned horrifically on morphine and then they were put in VR in these like snowy environments. Mm-hmm. And their brains believed that they were, you know, starting to get cold. Wow. And a lot of these sperm victims needed less less morphine. And in a couple of cases, they did, they were able to go off of it completely thanks to VR. What? Yeah. Oh my gosh, that is so cool! Whoa. I believe I believe the study was actually done um, uh, in Seattle. Seattle. I'm going to have to do some of that. I'll put that article and I'll throw it up in the show notes too for everybody. Please do. Yeah, that's so cool. Victim Seattle. That's one of the things that that I was fascinated about is the ability to trick the brain um, in convincing it that these experiences are real, therefore uh, creating some kind of physiological response, whether that uh, fear would be. A very, what is it, an, an interesting one and one I, I suppose to be mindful of. Like I'm, I'm curious what it would be like to, have you ever played any of the scary games? Like horror games? Yeah. Like jump like scare games? games? Mm-hmm. Um, I have a couple that I bought on Steam. Um, and besides like Sisters, I haven't really played anything. Mm-hmm. Not, not that I'm like too afraid to, I just haven't had time. And it's mm-hmm. not re- I don't know if it, it's my thing. Mm, yeah. Like, I definitely like uh, experiences more like accounting, where there's like a level of humor, <laughs> or uh, the way VR, where it's like very mu- visually stunning and music induced. Mm-hmm. See, I've I can relate, I, I suppose, in um, video games and movies. With I, I have a a friend, and, and he's more into like I don't know oddities and you know darker stuff. It's fine, and that's right. But I, I've tried, and I can enjoy it to an extent. But I'm not very fascinated by it. So, what type of movies do you normally watch? 
usually I, I watch like uh, funnier movies. I used to watch like Harold and Kumar and stuff like that, American Pie, kind of silly movies. But then I'd, um, yeah, basically funny and family movies, adventure too. That's that's perfect. Accounting would be right up your alley. It was written by Justin Roiland, who created Rick and Morty. Oh, ooh, really? Do I love Rick and yeah. Morty? Everybody loves Rick and Morty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure I've actually met anybody who's like, I hate Rick and Morty. I can't stand it. <laughs> I I don't. I would love to meet that person and be like, why? Yeah. Reminds me like Curvy Cowardly Dog. What, what, what is what What is so weird about you that you know you can't love the show that everybody else does? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are you Are you part of my culture? <laughs> <laughs> There's. In virtual reality, do you have like a, a limited play time, or can you play for hours as you could a video game? Um, it depends how long you can sit with a VR headset on your face. <laughs> <laughs> I like I, I've seen some artists um, work for hours and hours and hours doing like tilt brush and uh, other experiences. I've like wanted that. to do tilt brush really bad, and I can see myself getting lost in that. Essentially, you're in a room, right, where you can color in three-dimensional space all around you, right? Yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah, you're making strokes, but it's not like they're volumetric by any sense. They're hmm. very, very flat. Okay, and is that limited by the technology, or is that just the design? No, no, that's the design of Tilt Brush. If you're going for volumetric uh, building, I might suggest suggest Eric Newman's Strudel Doodle. Strudel Doodle. Yeah, and actually, he has a uh, AR version now, so you can do it on your phone, and you can like put it uh, attached to like your floor and stuff, and you can you know do things in real space. But, you know, on your phone. Is there anywhere that uh, people can find your work? Yeah. Um, if you're looking for video content about the stuff that I've done, uh, go to YouTube and type in Cap on Design TV. If you want to reach me, uh, send me a message, ask me a question. Uh, Twitter is the best place for that, uh, at Cap on Design. Uh, Cap in Design is my artistry name. It's also my last name plus design, which is what I do, so.
Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Um, please rate, review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever the fuck you listen to this shit. Go check out Eugene. You can find him in the show notes. Thanks to Hawkeye for the for this episode's music. Go check him out on SoundCloud, YouTube. Or even go watch a show if you're in Seattle. And if you're not, fly there. <laughs> I got more to come soon. And I'm excited to learn a little bit more about VR. I've even got some research papers related to the domestic violence video game and its effects on um, domestic violence abusers and victims. Uh, you can find that in the show notes on the website or on any of your podcast platforms. Till next time, have a good week. Oh!